Last year, New York enacted a law designed to remove some of the legal barriers to the development of so-called thermal energy networks, which can connect multiple buildings in a concentrated area with infrastructure that takes advantage of energy from wastewater, lakes, and other natural resources to provide heating and cooling. As part of that 2022 law, the State Public Service Commission is directed to develop a regulatory structure for these networks that, quote, scales affordable and accessible building electrification, protects customers, and balances the role of incumbent monopoly utilities with other market and public actors, end quote. To consider the potential thermal energy networks in New York and the state's regulatory responsibilities, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Rory Christian, chair and CEO of the state's Public Service Commission, which is tasked with reviewing thermal energy network pilot programs right now. Welcome back to the show, Chairman. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. So generally speaking, what are the types of situations where a thermal energy network might make sense? For example, should we think of this as a technology, say, for like a college campus or other areas with a connected network of buildings? I think you hit the nail on the head with that. The idea behind a thermal energy network is to look at a cluster of buildings in a, in a specific geographic location and take the waste heat that we normally not use for anything meaningful and convert that for useful purposes. So that would be space heating, water heating, cooling, uh, and a variety of other potential needs. And to do this, you, you, you're capitalizing on the differences between how the buildings operate in a given day. So if you imagine an office building with uh, IT servers occupying several floors, those servers produce a significant amount of heat. And you'd usually offset that heat by cooling through the air conditioning system. If we can capture that waste heat rather than try to push it out with additional cooling, uh, what we can do is use that towards processes, space heating, water heating, cooling, et cetera. The idea is to take the buildings that produce a large amount of that heat for useful purposes for buildings that could benefit from it, I think is the ultimate goal of doing this. And so you'd need a lot of different types of buildings, buildings that are operating maybe nine to five versus buildings that don't. So you can capture the heat when it's being created and move it to buildings when it's being used. And so you have to have a great diversity of uh, structures to really make that uh, effective. So that's part of the reason why we've uh, deployed these pilots as part of our uh, utility thermal energy network order. Well, given that sort of unique set of circumstances that that create that special sauce where uh, a thermal energy network might be useful, does that mean this type of network has limited environmental benefits because it might not be able to be so widespread in terms of its application? Part of what we need to think about here isn't so much the limitations, but the opportunities. And in that instance, thermal networks are being used around the world. They're very common in Europe. What I think makes our approach different than what we see in Europe, many of the thermal networks operating in uh, Europe right now are through natural gas generators uh, providing that heat through combustion. What we're trying to do is accomplish the same thing that those systems do, but using alternate sources to generate that heat. So instead of combusting a fuel that most likely would be natural gas or oil, we're using heat exchange with lakes, the ground, uh, waste heat from a server farm or a water treatment plant or any number of uh, applications. And we're taking that waste heat and again, using it for useful purposes. The only limitation now is we've not really done it at scale in this country. And the purpose of the pilots that we have directed the utilities to do as a result of this order are to figure out exactly what situations work best, 
what considerations we have to keep in mind from the disposition of the buildings, number of buildings, geographic distribution of the buildings, and also business models. How do we structure the arrangement for providing essentially heat to these new locations. This is not something we have really done before. And and to quote Commissioner Howard, uh, we are effectively creating a new utility for the first time in almost a century. So we want to make sure we have the information, the tools to do it right. And we're taking this measured approach through the pilots and through a variety of other activities. We've we've also done some technical conferences where we fielded information from a wide array of stakeholders putting all that together to come up with a solution that we can deploy at scale. And so we're doing the work today with the hope of it being very applicable in a variety of instances tomorrow. Well, turning to the pilot programs you reference, which are being proposed from some of the state's largest utilities, what's the status of that effort right now? So right now we have received a number of initial submissions, a number of pilot submissions. Uh, and as you can imagine, when you're doing something for the first time, you don't get it right the first time or perfect the first time. Uh, so we're making sure that we're working with the utilities to move these pilots along, again, in a measured manner. We're looking at the project engineering design, the development of protection plans for customers to ensure that any customers that do enroll are protected for the long term. Because again, we do envision these pilot projects turning into far more than just pilots. So a lot has to go into the initial design and inception of these projects uh, before they go forward. So we're doing that now um, and working with each utility. And each utility is at different stages. But again, we're doing the work with them to support their efforts and deploy these pilots in a timely manner while making sure we're maintaining reliability and the service expectations their customers deserve. Well, for listeners just joining us, so you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're talking about the uh, potential of thermal energy networks in, in New York, and our guest is Rory Christian, chair and CEO of the state's Public Service Commission, uh, the state entity tasked with regulating this new type of energy utilization. And when I think about the transition to green energy, it seems like the recurring theme when it comes to paying the bills from these new projects is that the costs are folded into ratepayer bills. Is that the expectation with these pilot programs as well, that the cost of construction and the cost of administering them would be something that ratepayers would pay for? And if so, how does that enter your calculus of weighing the benefits of these projects versus uh, the potential costs? The answer to that question is going to be utility-specific and region-specific. As I'm sure you and and your uh, listeners know, utilities throughout the state have a a variety of uh, dispositions. We have some that are gas-only, providing only natural gas, others that are combined gas and electric, and others still that are electric-only. And then going even further, we have some regions that have multiple utilities that provide one commodity or another. So that in and of itself is a complication that is on top of all of this that we're paying very careful attention to in the design of these pilots and how they can be ultimately scaled up. You can imagine a scenario where a gas utility is putting these pilots into an area that is served by another utility that provides electricity, understanding how that relationship works. And then the question of which rate payers, is it the electric rate payers that should pay the cost or the natural gas rate payers that should pay the cost? So all of this is 
part of our thinking now in looking at these pilots to understand how wide-scale implementation will take place. The key thing, though, this is not very different from what we currently do with our existing electric and natural gas build-out. We have existing laws for natural gas where if a customer wants to be added uh, and receive gas service, all other natural gas customers subsidize that first 100 feet of service that natural gas customer receives. That's baked into what we already do. Um, and there are other provisions that I can cite on the electric side and the gas side where we have customers subsidizing the expansion and maintenance of the system. That's how these work. So in that sense, this is following a model we've long had. Um, it's not a complete divergence. Where the divergence is taking place, and, and this has been an interesting discussion internally, is a question of the fuel. When I think about the clean energy evolution that we and the rest of the world have taken, you know, we've gone from coal to oil, right? And there were firm reasons for that that made sense. Then largely from oil to natural gas. And you know, we've long heard the argument that natural gas is the bridge fuel for the clean energy future. And so now we're we're going the rest of the way along that bridge, right? We're using that foundation that we built up where we've been transitioning from cleaner to cleaner fuels. And then in the last 30 or so years also making sure our use of those fuels is far more efficient than it's ever been in the past. And now we're at the point where we can take a step towards no combustion of fossil fuels, where we're actually using heat that is a byproduct of what we normally do on a day-to-day -day, and using that as a resource. And I think there's a certain elegance to that and, and sustainability and efficiency that is something we definitely should be pursuing because otherwise that waste heat is, frankly, wasted. Uh, so we should really try to capture that as best as we can. And I think these pilots give us the opportunity to find a way to make that a reality. So the green energy transition is often framed as a bit of a business disruptor in the sense that it's creating jobs, but also eliminating jobs. And there's not necessarily a one-to-one -one connection from one job to the next. So with the thermal energy networks, does that potentially represent an opportunity for a smoother transition for the employees in the sense that some of the people who are doing work that isn't envisioned in our future of reduced greenhouse gas emissions could transition to the work involved with these energy networks, say, without the extensive retraining that might be involved in some other careers? I've had the opportunity to meet with a number of union reps over the last few days, and, and you know, several of them have shared their excitement with where the utility thermal energy networks are going. Um, and I share that excitement because, again, it does offer certain skill sets, an opportunity to continue into the energy future with minimum to little additional training at all. Um, however, ultimately, we are looking at doing things very differently than we've done them in the past. We anticipate continuing doing this with the union workforce that has helped build the energy system as it is today, but there will need to be some degree of retraining regardless of what path we ultimately take. And, and the important thing to remember, the U10, the Utility Thermal Energy Network pilots that we're reviewing and hope to deploy in the near future, these are one of many things that we are doing in the hopes of transitioning the energy system. Where a specific individual wishes to take their career could diverge in any number of directions. But uh, from my conversations um, with Department of Labor, Commissioner uh, Roberta Reardon and others, I'm, I know the state is looking at ways to help ease that transition for the existing workforce. But beyond just easing the transition, 
building up the workforce. The clean energy workforce in the state is one of the fastest, if not the fastest growing sector. And uh, we want to make sure that as we move forward with these investments in infrastructure, we have the workforce to make those investments a reality in the near future and then maintain them for the long term. And for that, we're going to need the help from the unions, uh, other state agencies, and many others to make that a reality. Well, finally, thinking about the future, what is the timeline for, say, the widespread utilization of this type of technology? Are we talking about something that could be in place in 2025, 2026, or is it much further than that? That's a really good question. I I think the easy answer to that question is the sooner the better. Um, Again, we're looking at deploying pilots to test a variety of ways of doing these networks, different types of buildings, different applications, different heating mediums. A lot of variety is going to go into these and uh, we're gonna wanna test them over a period of time. 2025, I I certainly hope to see the pilots online and functioning, um, but for wide scale deployment, I think we are gonna need a little bit more time than that uh, to make sure that uh, we've dotted our I's and crossed our T's and can be confident Uh, that these approaches, new as they are, are something that can be durable, reliable, and resilient and meet our needs going to the future. So that's what the pilots will help us figure out. And once we have those answers, we can begin another proceeding to determine what uh, wide-scale deployment can look like and a timeline for that. Well, we've been speaking with Rory Christian. He's the chair and CEO of the State's Public Service Commission. Rory, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you, Dave. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.